Hey, what's up, Expositors? This is episode 29 of the Expositors Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. On today's episode, it's another recording from our Colorado training weekend. And this one is a panel discussion. And on the panel is Fernando Ortiz, David Guzik, Nick Cady, Char Broderson, and Brian Broderson. So an all-star lineup. And you know how it is. Um, with the panel discussion, uh, it could be anything or everything um, that's asked. So in this episode, you're going to hear questions about um, contextualization. You're going to hear questions about addressing social issues. Um, you're going to hear about how many cows we milk in order to make milk. I don't understand that one. <laughs> but um, this is, again, um, continuing on from last week. Uh, Nick did a great episode on how to not be boring, and we've gotten great feedback from that one. And this is kind of a continuation of that, where it's just people talking about the actual craft, the actual way that we can speak in a way that is honest and compelling, but that's not manipulative. So we want to speak God's truth in a way that makes sense to people, um, that is accessible, but doesn't water down the truth of God and also doesn't trick people or deceive people. So we want to honor both the scriptures themselves and the people that we're talking to. Anyway, I'm going to let you get to this episode. I'll be at the end and I've got some more announcements. Um, I've got another review to read and I've got information about our next training weekend. So you want to listen to that because maybe it's near you. Interpreting the scriptures, the art of interpretation. And so here we have homiletics and the art of preaching. It's, it's, we're speaking right now to the delivery. Um, you've got it. You're prepared. You've prepared your message. You have it in whatever state it is, and now you're going to preach it. You're going to bring it to people, and that's what we're talking about right now. Um, who are we missing? Brian Broderson. Oh, where's number one? There he is. Um, He's taking the long way. <laughs> so um, one good state, uh, one good statement that um, Nick made. So we're going to do some Q&A, but I also have some questions, too. Um, he said, uh, better than nothing, bridging. Didn't you say bridging worlds? What was the term? you Yes. Used? You make a bridge between the world of the Bible and people in today's culture. Okay. And the scriptures and the, right. and the person. So we're going to get to some questions, but let me, let's just probe that a little bit with all you guys here. Um, bridging two worlds. So that's a great way to think about it. You think about, we have the world of scripture, as Nick said, there's the world of Scripture. We're studying that. We're mining and understanding the world of Scripture, the context. Who are the original hearers? Uh, what's, what's happening in the context and all that? And we're mining that. We're, we're, and we're pulling, we're extracting 
the truth. But how do you take this, the world of the scriptures into the real world today, here and now? You talked about engaging culture. When we talk about engaging culture, we're not talking about uh, cultural relativity. It's cultural relativity. We're just talking about the gospel's always going to almost punch the face of the existing culture, in a sense, uh, addressing the idols of the age, which are different in any, every generation and which are also different in every geographical area. The idols here in Aurora are different than the idols that grip and hold hostage humanity in other parts of the world. So when we're talking about homiletics, let's talk a little bit more about that. I want to hear from all these guys of bridging those worlds. How, how does that work? How does that work generationally? How does that work with the issues of today? So let's speak to that. Just like. Fernando, why don't you start yeah, us? Why don't you start? I'm... Well, uh, I think one of the best books that every pastor leader should read is, of course, Between Two Worlds. Um, especially when it comes to the art and the style of preaching and connecting the, the two parts of, of scripture and culture. Um, there's some other great books out there. Um, let's see here. Um, Preaching with Purpose by Jay Adams. Um, Exegetical Fallacies by D.A. Carson. Um, I'm trying to think. There's a, this little weird book called The Principles of uh, Biblical Interpretation by Lewis Burkhoff, I Burkhoff. believe. Yeah. Um, phenomenal, phenomenal book on, on being able to minister and connect the two cultures, um, especially when it comes to scripture and the world around you. Um, one of the things that you got to understand, especially when preaching or the art of preaching is knowing who you're talking to. Um, Jesus did this, right? Whenever Jesus spoke, he would, he would say, um, there was a farmer and he would go sow in the fields and he scattered some seed on the hard soil and so on and so forth. And the reason being was because he's talking to farmers. And they're like, oh, well, I did that this morning. I totally understand what you're talking about. And so Jesus uses that as a segue in order to preach the truth. And so when you're speaking to a crowd or a group of people and trying to connect the two sides, you got to understand in a room this size, there's married single, divorced, um, young, old, people who love Bob Dylan, people who don't know who she is. Um, you know, there are people who love Taylor Swift and there are people who have never heard of her. And, and so knowing and understanding that as you are ministering to people, you're, you're dealing with people from all different walks of life and being able to connect the scripture to the things that they're going to be able to understand and be able to apply to their lives is, is so vital and it's so key because they want to know how this is going to help them, how the, how the, the gospel and the centrality of Jesus Christ in their life is vital in the break room uh, or wherever it is that they you know swing a hammer or wherever it is that they do that. And so um, making sure that you understand your audience, know your audience and and are, are addressing those things as a part of ministering to them. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think along with that too is knowing the idols of your particular culture, um, and and yeah, like, like the cultural setting for that. I love too what you were saying, Nick, just about um, telling a, a story. There's a book I read years ago um, by uh, Frederick Beekner. I don't know. Nobody says his last name right, so I don't know. But uh, it's called Telling the Truth. It's like every pastor, every teacher should read this. So it's telling the truth. The gospel is tragedy, comedy, and fairy tale. And he takes three different passages of scripture and just shows how like the different ways to tell the story of redemption in these ways. Like you are far worse than you possibly imagine. It's a tragedy. The gospel is upside down. The fools take off their masks and they're the wise. The wise take off their masks and they're the fools. And it's the greatest story ever told. It's a, a fairy tale beyond imagination. And so play those things out, you know, and go after the heart longings of the culture that you're in and show how Jesus is the hero, how he is the thing that can fulfill uh, what we're looking for. We are like the children of Israel. Uh, we are digging wells that cannot hold water. And, yeah, he is the fountain of living water. Yeah. That's really good. I like a comedy. Yeah. If you think about it, the gospel's a comedy. I mean, in a sense, I mean, he... The, the ugly guy gets the girl, you know, that's yeah. kind of the gospel yeah, The the, the poor become, become the Kings. It's just the paradoxal nature of the kingdom of God is laughable. Yeah. And yeah. even when you look at some, in a sense of just, you giggle because it's just so, it's so counter cultural, right? Um, okay. That's a good point. I want to ask you a question, David, how invested, how, how um, much should we take time to study culture, to study our audience, to get, get into the minutia? How, how far do we go? How, what does that look like in your opinion? I'll give you the first answer that comes to mind because I think that's a very challenging question. So take it for what it's worth. I think we should give very little time to it, but I think we should give a great deal of attention to it. In other words, just in our normal course of life around our communities, give attention to the, I, I wouldn't think, okay, I'm going to spend half a day trying to figure out the idols of my community. So not specific time, but trying to give constant attention to the things around me and really seeking the Lord about it. Lord, what are the, what are the sins that our community is specific, is, is especially, um, you know, prone to? And I think you're right. I think it differs from place to place. There's, there's the aspect of humanity that's universal. And I mean, it's universal from the time of Adam to us. And you can preach on that and it always connects. It always relates that. But then there are those other things that are more specific to the community. And if you are aware of them, I think you should look to speak to them often in your preaching and challenge them. Yeah. Just say one thing on that is that um, regarding bridges and then challenging things, you know, one of the ways that we make a, a bridge culture is that in every culture, there are going to be things which uh, the Bible, God's word, the gospel affirms, and there are going to be things which it challenges. And so the things which it affirms are good bridges through, through which we can make connections with people. And we can say, yes, you already agree with this part. But the Bible also says this, which challenges what you trust in and hope in and fear and, and these things as well. So we have to have both the, the affirmation and the challenge. Yeah. I want to I ask Brian to speak to something which is right in the line of this. And that is, um, so at this last 
Pastors Leaders Conference just a few weeks ago at Costa Mesa. But the panels um, in the afternoon on Tuesday and Wednesday, you had a panel on two very relevant issues in, in the world today that sometimes in the church we, we, we're in our bubble. And those panels sought to bridge the two worlds, um, bridge and specifically Calvary Chapel to really, you know, issues that are right in front of us today. And the, the issue of racism and the issue of same-sex attraction, you know, and that community. And to talk to us about how, how that, be, you know, just that. Yeah, you know, you can't hardly, you know, turn on the TV or, or the internet or pick up any kind of a publication and read it where those two things are not dominating the, you know, the space uh, these days. I mean, it's massive in our culture. And, but, you know, for me, it's not even, I want to jump on the cultural bandwagon because this is what everybody's talking about. Um, it's deeper for that than me because I have, I have a concern over the race issue. And I've had it for a long time. It, I've had it way before it resurfaced in the culture. And over the years, I've intentionally um, sought opportunities to connect with guys who aren't the rank and file, you know, white evangelical guy, and to help them, um, you know, engage and m move forward in ministry and things like that. Because I, I look at whether it's African-American community or the Latino community or whatever. And I look at those places. Those are massive mission fields. This, these are areas where there is such radical need in uh, our, our country. And so I've, I've just had a desire. I want to equip guys and encourage them and help them get in to minister in their own, you know, community. So, so that, that's kind of the, the underlying thing for me. And like I said, now in the past few years, the whole issue has kind of resurfaced. So I'm just engaging guys that I've already been connected with over the years, and now everybody's talking about it. So, hey, well, let, you know, let's, let's talk about this publicly, because I think, like you said, Pete, I think we can get in a bubble where we just have our own world, and that's, well, that's, it's not really affecting me. So I don't really think much about it. But it could very well be affecting people in our churches, and we're not thinking, you know, that, that it is. So I think it's important. And, and of course, the same-sex thing, you know, is, yeah, talk, is the Maybe same you too. could just, like, how are, how, you know, give us some insights. That's a very real um, issue. And, yeah. and we fumble, most Bible teachers fumble around how to, yeah. how to address that. Well, I think, we're, I think we're all in a process of learning uh, things about you know, how to navigate certain waters. And, you know, these are, these are different times than, than they've ever been. And, uh, you know, David and I know that because we've been the preaching the longest of the guys up on the platform here. But this is not the world that it was 30 years ago, certainly, 20 years ago, certainly. It's not even the world it was 10 years ago. And it's changed so radically. And, and I think if we're thinking in terms of just the way we've always thought about things, we're probably going to be uh, missing the mark when it comes to our communication. Uh, we're going to be unnecessarily, you know, hurting people, driving people away maybe. Um, 
so I, I think it's important to, you know, like with the, with the same-sex thing, I'll just give you an example. Um, I, I think that we, I think in some sense as Christians in general, evangelical Christians in general, and I think even in our tribe, Calvary Chapel, I think we've just kind of had a perspective on that where we, we have kind of, at least in our communication, uh, and I think a lot of Christians have done this, we, we've sort of put this in in a category of its own. I think a lot of evangelicals have done this. And so you've got all, all the sins that are possible, and then you've got this one sin. And so you always sort of talk about it just a little bit differently, and you treat people who are involved in that sin just a little bit differently. And uh, I've been thinking lately, though, that it goes both ways, too, because, of course, there are people now that want to be identified as gay Christians who aren't practicing homosexuality. They're, they're celibate, but they're still trying to identify with the gay thing. So they're even s- sort of putting it in a category of its own, which I think is a mistake. So, so either side, I think we, we, you know, sin is sin. Right, and all sin has different consequences, of course. But, but so I don't know. I, I think there's a sensitivity level, there's a tone, and then there's an information level that I, I think we are. The challenge for us today, I think, we can't be lazy. We have to be more proactive in educating ourselves in regard to, you know, the issues that are really issues in the culture that the culture is confused about what the church thinks about it or the culture thinks the church thinks something about it that the church doesn't think about it. Mm-hmm. So I think the onus is on us to, to straighten that out. Yeah. We, we got to get, get the right information out there. No, no, this is what we think. This is what the Bible says about that. And that's going to take, you know, effort on our part. And it's going to take intentionality. I think that there has to be some intentionality to, to this. That's great. So let's open it up for some questions. So give me your hand on this subject. Not necessarily what Brian was just talking about, maybe, but just this whole subject of bridging the world of Scripture to the world of today or your world. So we uh, talked a lot about um, engaging and really um, getting your audience to interact, or uh, not necessarily interact, but um, understand what you're talking about and everything. Um, in today's society, there's been a lot of studies and stuff done on how to, for lack of a better term, manipulate people's emotions and whatnot through, like, the use of color and um, that kind of things. There's a lot of, especially for, like, companies that want to advertise and stuff. They do a lot of studies on how to manipulate people and to, you know, really draw them in. Um, is there any way where we could use those type of, that type of information to support our ministry? And if, it, if there is, where do you draw the line to say, like, that's straight-up manipulation and that's not good? And, well, you know, yeah, we just make everything blue to calm people down, you know? Good thing we have these blue chairs. No wonder you're all calm in here, so I'm not sure. Who wants to take that one? What are these colors that can manipulate people? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> How can I learn all about them? It's, it's funny because I think what you're dealing with is something where two believers could do the same thing, but for very different motives, and it, you know, um, make them accountable or not accountable before God in the same way. You could pl- pick blue chairs for the sanctuary 
just because you thought that's, you know, that's what the interior designer thought would be good and you agreed. Okay, great. But I, I believe that if you did pick something like that, like in a deliberate attempt to manipulate people, Paul seems to speak against that kind of manipulative trickery in preaching. It's, it's sort of a denial that the power is in the gospel. And so when we have technology to avail ourselves with, and, and again, you know, we're not, to, to use a phrase, we're not Luddites. Luddites were people who rejected technology of all kinds. We're certainly not that. I'm speaking to you uh, with a microphone right now in an air-conditioned room with a lot of lighting. I'm grateful for all of those things. I got an iPad right here. So we're not that, but we have to consciously say we're not going to trust in those things and, and we're going to ask God always to really work our motives in those things. So I, I think for, for me, that's how it makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, you think of, you know, Paul said the Corinthians, he said, I didn't come to you with persuasive words. He learned that it was the power of the gospel. I came to you with the, like anything that would... The power of the gospel doesn't need any help at all. So um, yeah. did you want to add Yeah, that? I just think also, too, like, you know, it was mentioned earlier, pragmatism can be a positive thing that we should use when we can. But the church, by and large, should be a place of counterformation. And so, you know, also as kind of alluded to, we need to both resonate with culture but defy culture. And I think especially in terms of manipulation and power, these things are radically abused in our culture, and we need to put forth um, a proper display of what power looks like in the kingdom of God. And um, God does not manipulate his people whatsoever. You know, he does woo them and brings them in and, you know, fulfills those longings. And, and so, you know, I think that stuff, like we really need to think in terms more of counterformation. How can we actually push against that stuff rather than just like, oh, yeah, just whatever to get a man, you know? I don't know. Okay, good. Question. Let me get over here. So having a room full of, you know, 18 to 34-year-old Bible teachers and having you guys as, as elders in, that have done this for, for a long time, for each of you, what is one pitfall that you see, maybe not just young people, but people new to teaching, what are some of the biggest pitfalls that we can watch out for? Um, I will say one of the things that I see, uh, especially amongst young people, is... I should say young people, but... Um, trying to be someone else in the pulpit. Um, I, I think, you know, we get so excited. We watch all of these guys on YouTube and, and podcasts and vodcasts and just everything like that, that we end up um, neglecting who God has created us to be and the word that he has spoken to us individually in order to preach the gospel to a specific group of people he has called us to minister to. And so what works for someone else in, in their approach and how they do it, and maybe they're a big rah-rah guy and can get people riled up, or maybe there's someone else who is, is very maybe monotone, but their preaching is, you know, Alistair Begg, you know, someone great preacher, but it's just very even keel and how they preach. And, 
And so what ends up happening is, and maybe a part of it is immaturity. We got to learn and grow and develop into who we are. Um, but I know when I first started out uh, in preaching and teaching, I mean, I totally pilfered my pastor's message. Um, I, I got a section of scripture. It was almost word for word what he said. Um, totally just pilfered it, used it, and, and even watched his video and wa- tried to get the mannerisms right and how. And, and I just think, you know, you've got to be you and you've got to be who God has called you to be. And, um, and it's okay, you know, it's okay to um, milk many cows but churn your own butter, you know. And be who, who God wants you to be in order to preach the gospel he's called you to preach to. <laughs> Did you get that from Clay Worrell? Exactly. <laughs> That's pretty now good. milk many cows. Yeah. And, no, sorry. <laughs> uh, so I guess, you know, and I think this is pretty subjective. So you're asking what, what's our opinions. I almost would say something different from him, but I think that's because of my experience. So I think, you know, for some people, that's exactly right. And I'd say for myself, in my own experience, it was that I paid so much attention to my content that I didn't pay enough attention to my delivery. I didn't pay attention to the fact that people weren't only listening to what I said, but they were watching me as I said it. They were paying attention to that. And so I would have paid more attention to my delivery and my illustrations. Yeah, I want to I hear on that from more of the statesmen in the room here. Hear on what? What? Well, let what are the pi- Do you want to hear? No, Do you want to? Okay, this, this is something I encourage everybody in, but I think it's especially prone for those who are young uh, in starting out a teaching or preaching ministry, is you're trying to be profound and eloquent. Do not seek to be profound or eloquent. Seek to be clear and seek to be simple. Now, you may happily, under the blessing of the Lord, stumble upon some profundity and some eloquence as you seek after clarity and simplicity. But don't, don't seek after those things. Seek after just being clear and simple in what you teach. This is, you know, kind of um, my topic tomorrow in a yeah. sense, you know, yeah. to talk, talk about kind of getting your own yeah. voice, you know, and all of that. And I think that that is, and we'll talk about it in, in detail tomorrow. I mean, it is a process, and, you know, we, we all are on a journey when it comes to that. I think, um, you know, I, I think a good word is just, you know, God's word to Jeremiah, or, or Jeremiah's, uh, no, Jeremiah delivered the word to one of the scribes. I can't remember his name. David, you probably remember um, you know, seek great things for yourself. Do not seek them. And, you know, that, that was the word that was given to Spurgeon when he was, um, you know, he was actually, you know, Spurgeon was not theologically educated. He was self-educated. He was a genius, which helped, you know, but um, he was a self-educated guy. But there was a point where he thought to go to, for theological training, and he went to have an interview, and um, it's like, it, there was a mix-up, and he ended up waiting in the office, and the president of the school was waiting for him to come, and they missed each other. And then when Spurgeon finally left, uh, the Lord just spoke that word to him, you know, do not, don't, don't seek great things for yourself. And I think that that's, 
that's a battle that we're always fighting against. You know, it's like in the end, I, we say it all the time, and, but, you know, it, it really isn't about us. It really is about the Lord. So the younger you, are, you can learn this, the sooner you can learn this, uh, the better it will be for you and for those people that God sends you to. You know, just you're, you're seeking really his honor and his glory and, and not your own because, you know, ambition will, can be the death of you in the end. And, you know, people, and, and then there's a neglect of what's right in front of you because you're looking over the heads of everybody thinking about, well, I want to get over here rather than just realizing, no, I, I'm, this is where God's put me. I need to give my 100% attention to this. I don't know if I'm ever going over there or not. That might be my ambition, but God might not take me there. So don't worry about that. You know, I, and Pete, you know this, and Dave, you know this too. And the, the, on an international level, I've seen guys who are gifted guys in different countries, and they, they start a church and things start going well, but then they decided they wanted to reach the whole nation. And they completely neglected their church in an effort to reach the nation, and they failed at both in the end. So, what, for what it's worth. Okay, a couple more questions. I'll go in the back here. I'll come back. Nick, it was interesting to hear you say how you actually struggled with your presentation starting off because that was one thing I noticed was I was actually going to ask, where do you feel this study of rhetoric and the art of public speaking sort of intertwines with homiletics and are there any resources you recommend? So homiletics just comes from the word homily, which means sermon. So it's a study of how to do sermons. And that's, so I do think it is tied to the idea of rhetoric, and actually, uh, in that thing I referenced from Augustine, his um, preaching manual, he uses the word rhetoric, and he uses it positively, and says that uh, we should use um, rhetorical skills. Now, again, I, I want to make sure I balance that. That's why I use those two scriptures against each other, just to say that we, we have to, to be compelling without being manipulative. And so we want to use rhetoric in a way that helps make the, the message of the, that helps expose the meaning of the text in a way that comes to bear, that people feel the weight of it as it truly is, not in a way that is, um, you know, trying to make something happen out of, you know, trying to twist people's arms, so to say. And I, I really liked what Char said about power. So if, if it's really a power issue, I, Again, that, and that gets to heart, so. You know, Pete, let me just say something too. And th this might surprise some of you guys, but Pastor Chuck Smith, uh, Chuck took um, speaking classes uh, to, be, to get trained to be a better public speaker. And he not only took them, but he encouraged them for certain people. And I think, you know, a lot of people would think, what? You know, Chuck never did anything like that, but he, but he really did. And because he, he wanted to be, you know, he, he, 
he saw his preaching in a sense as a craft that he wanted to have it finely tuned. And, um, you know, Chuck was very meticulous about um, vocabulary. He was very meticulous about um, not using things like slang. You know, he, he, had, he had like all preachers have these little idiosyncratic kinds of things, you know, that annoyed them. But, you know, I would do be sitting with him doing radio together and you know, suddenly he slips a little note in front of me, and I have no idea what the note's going to say. I maybe like praise the Lord, brother, or something, and then it's like he's criticizing the way I pronounce a word. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm on the air, and I'm reading this, going, "Oh, okay." You know, and then afterwards, you know, he does this. Now I noticed you say "ta" instead of "to." Oh, okay. You know, so basically he was saying, "Don't do that anymore." <laughs> So, but, you know, who would think that Pastor Chuck did that, you know, because most people think, well, he just kind of let anybody get up and preach and then, you know, but he, he was very, very um, meticulous about some of these kinds of things. So all, all that to say that, um, you know, I mean, that might not be for everybody, obviously, but some guys might feel led to go take a, a, a public speaking class and God could use it to help you become a better public speaker. If you really want to improve your presentation aspect of preaching, just video yourself and watch it. It's horrible, but it'll help you. And then, and then just keep the suicide hotline nearby. Um, we... When we look at our world today, when we talk about homiletics um, and bridging the gap between scripture and our current culture, um, there are a lot of, there's a lot of political craziness that's going on right now, a lot of social issues that are going on. So I know the Calvary Chapel model is that no matter what, you teach the word regardless, um, and you don't make politics the, the focus of what you're talking about, but how do you take the scriptures and really build a bridge so that the people sitting in your congregations can take that scripture and it's relevant to the issues that they're facing right now, politically or even socially, um, in their communities? Great question. So, we, uh, my group today, we have the passage, 2 Samuel 9. And what we were looking at in that passage is when you really look at it, David is a king, and here is Mephibosheth. And when you look at a shame-honor culture, we were talking about this, you have a king and then you have somebody at the other end of the spectrum. And what you can really look at, if you step backwards, and you understand the culture of the day and what's going on here, you have a beautiful display of the right use of, use of power. So in the Old Testament, one of the greatest themes of the Bible is two words, tzedakah and mishpat. They are righteousness and justice. All over the prophets, all over the law, this is what God cares about. Righteous living and justice, which is sacrificing for the worthless person. It costs to yourself. So when we look at that passage, it's like, wow, look at David. He is doing what you should do with power. This is a beautiful display of right power. But in the next chapter, David shows us an abuse of power. He takes Bathsheba because he's the king, takes her to his home, and then to cover it up, he murders Uriah. I think that you should, if you are in that passage right now, if you are in 2 Samuel, you should preach about power. That's what you should be preaching at. You should go after the current things in our culture and form your people to counterformation. Mm -hmm. Because we need 
we need a proper representation of the kingdom of God and what power looks like in the church. And we've had, you know, uh, Kyle Strobel, he lectured at the um, CGN conference that we did. Um, and he wrote a book called The Way of the Dragon and the Way of the Lamb. And the, the point of the book is the church has gone the way of the dragon. We've just followed the Gentiles and the nations in our ruling. We rule for ourselves. We don't rule like Jesus, the servant king. And so I think as much as you can, I just taught on sexual formation last week out of Matthew 5. And, and I went after the cultural idol um, of, of sex. You know, it says, listen, do these things, explore, and you, it will equal fulfillment. And just talked about, no, it actually equals disillusionment in our culture. So what is a sexual um, viewpoint of Scripture that actually brings uh, fulfillment, healing to our lives? So I think as much as you can, go after those things. They, the church needs to hear those things, and the culture needs a proper representation of those things. And, and, you know, I think, I mean, historically, you know, the church has always, unless it's kind of lost its way, you know, the church has always been that voice that's pushing back on the world. I mean, that's, that's what it is. But there's, I think there's just a, a lot of wisdom that's necessary in how you do that. And what I have discovered in my, over the many, many years is, you know, God's word will... It's just, you know, kind of ironic, but it's, it's not when you think about it. it's God and we're his servants. It's like God will give you words that are very appropriate for the time, you know. So two weeks ago, I preached the title of my message was Speaking Truth to Power. People are talking about that all over the culture today. Now, I didn't go, hey, people are talking about speaking truth to power, so I'm going to talk about that. I'm reading that Paul is standing before Felix and he's speaking truth to power. And Felix is, he's like, Paul, I don't want to hear this anymore. You know, you need to give me a break because Paul's reasoning with him about, you know, righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. And then a chapter later, he's speaking truth to power in Agrippa. But my, I took the opportunity to talk about how do you speak truth to power? And Paul gives us a great example because he actually did it. You know, I see people on Twitter all the time. They put out a tweet and they think they're speaking truth to power. They're, they're not. They're speaking to their 15 followers, you know. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, how, okay, it, it is a real thing, speaking truth to power. How do we do that? Well, this, again, the scripture, I think, gives us, a, you know, a picture of how to do that. Okay. Okay. Thank you, guys. Let's give them a round of applause. Thanking them for... Good stuff. And so this takes us to the conclusion of the evening. And so what we're going to do now is we're going to, um, we're going to get back in our groups, but hold on for a sec. Um, so to summarize just a little bit, session one was the value and power of expositional preaching. Wonderful. Set the tone. Um, hopefully you guys have been retaining that or have notes. Uh, then we looked at the importance of Christ-centered preaching, and that was a, a wonderful time of, of unpacking that whole theme, very important. Then we looked at sermon prep. We had one example from Pastor Ed. We looked at outlining, uh, having a destination, giving road signs to get, you want to take people somewhere and bring them with you. That was excellent from Nate. And then finally homiletics, which is... Uh, session number five, 
And so all of these things we do on the first day, because now we're going to give you an opportunity to preach a sermon. So would you come up here, please, now, and could you preach the text? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. No, how we're going to do this is um, we are going to divvy up scriptures in your, and I want Mike to come add some two cents. We're going to give you a text, and you're gonna, we're going to divvy these up in your groups, and you are going to um, prepare a 10-minute sermon tonight and preach it tomorrow just in your group. And we are going to critique you. We're going to give you good, constructive feedback on your sermon. And so, you know, the Expositors Collective is, you know, there's no, not a dull moment. We told you it's a 24-hour intensive uh, preaching seminar, and that's exactly what it is. And so, um, Mike, how do you want to add as, before we split them up in groups to this? Yeah, I guess we really want to put the intense in intensive. So, so that means that tonight you're going to go home and you're going to, you're going to hit the books. You're going to visit EnduringWord.com probably. <laughs> and click on the ads to get revenue going. Yeah. Um, so are the, are the verses going to be up there? Um, yes. Okay. So here are the verses. So here's, here's what we're going to do. So there is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Um, uh, sections that are already there. I think most groups are five or six people. Um, we have extras there because here's a rule, and we're counting on you to be honest. We're followers of Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Truth. If you've preached on one of those passages already, you're not allowed to do it again. Well, ever. 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 I did. <laughs> um, yeah, 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 it was bad. It was bad. Dear diary, David Guzik said my sermon was bad. <laughs> yeah, I would, I, would say, I would say, if at all possible, do, do one that you haven't done before. Um, and so we have one or two extras to make sure that, 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 you never, that you're able to, to do something new, to have a fresh look at it, and to, um, yeah, to put together uh, 10 minutes. Like, don't go over. I know I went over a little bit um, earlier today, but, like, it really matters that you are punctual uh, because it's going to be, you know, you're going to do your 10-minute sermon, you're going to have immediate feedback from your group leader, and then the rest of your cohort, cohort people are going to do it afterwards. So, for example, you see Psalm 103. I mean, you'd want to find a, a, a nugget out of Psalm 103, like something you don't have to exposit every single verse in there. We want you to just preach, take everything we've learned in the first five sessions and apply them to a 10-minute sermon tomorrow morning in your group. Yep. So let's get in our groups, and this is a time for you to get the scripture assigned to you. Your group leader will help you do that, and then it would be a time for you to ask any questions from the group leaders. And, um, and on that note, and we're going to pray right here in just a moment, then you're just dismissed. So some of you might hang out longer than other groups. So we will see you back here tomorrow morning, 9 a.m. sharp. Sharp, okay, 9 a.m. sharp back in this room tomorrow morning. And on that, Mike, would you just close us out in prayer? Yeah. Let's pray. Yeah, Lord, we have heard uh, so much about you, um, sometimes even in roundabout ways. 
um, even as we're just talking about homiletics or interpretation, um, the way that we are just like digging into scripture as an example, we can't help but just like have our hearts be lifted up, Lord, to hear about your kindness, to hear about your grace, uh, to hear even about how you've, as, as Nick used as an illustration, to you've saved us from the sin of pride. Um, and so we thank you so much for all that you've done. Um, Father, I pray that this evening as um, we go home um, or whatever hotel, we're probably tired, but as we just have the, the pleasure and the treasure of scriptures ahead of us, that you would allow our private study and preparation to be as relaxed as possible, and that this can just be a real enriching and a landmark time um, in our lives. And Lord, I pray that as much as we've been blessed, Lord, that you would be blessing present and future congregations who are going to hear about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ from these men and these women. Lord, bless us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, good stuff, huh? Uh, there was a lot of great book recommendations that were given out uh, from the panelists, and I'm going to do my best to make sure that most or maybe all of them have an Amazon link uh, within the show notes of this episode. Um, so yeah, continue on uh, to learn uh, from these guys and the resources and the books that they recommend. Um, okay, so as promised, I've got a uh, sticker to give away and uh, review to read. Um, this one is from Bima K two seven five three, and uh, they say great podcast, five stars. Thanks, and uh, it says that the convention was eye opening, and having a podcast will help to reinforce the ideas that I learned. Uh, so I gather that Bima K two seven five three must have been at uh, one of our training weekends. Um, so we've had uh, three in two thousand eighteen, and uh, we've got more coming in two thousand nineteen. Uh, one was in California, one was in Colorado, and one was in Florida. And uh, so this person was at one of them, and they enjoyed it. <laughs> And uh, they're hoping that this podcast can reinforce the ideas uh, that were taught and implemented um, at that uh, event. And you know what? Man, I sure hope so. I mean, this is what we're doing it for. Um, but, you know, uh, the I've looked at the stats and the analytics, and I know there's actually far more people that listen to this podcast that, that ever even come to our training weekends. So... Um, while on the one hand, it's a good way to reinforce for those that were actually there, um, it also can be a way for those that were never there um, to listen in, uh, both to the main sessions and then also to the interviews that I get to do um, before and afterwards. But you know what? There's nothing like being there yourself. And with that as kind of an awkward transition, we'll do an episode once, um, one of these days on how to do transitions. A good transition um, reviews the previous information and then previews what's going to go next. But anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. So with that as a transition, I just want to say that um, our next training weekend um, is going ahead um, April 5th and 6th, and it's going to be at Maranatha Chapel in San Diego, California. Um, so we've been um, talking with them about hosting. Um, I think this is going to be 
you know, our best one yet. You know, they always are, obviously. But um, but this one, um, we have the facilities there to host a lot of people. Um, we have a lot of contacts um, in the San Diego stroke um, Southern California region, um, which means that we're going to have a lot of mentors available. So we're going to be able to kind of scale out what we've been doing to include more people, but we're not going to have to sacrifice the um, coaching aspect of it because we're going to have a lot of coaches and a lot of mentors as well. Um, so more details are going to be you know rolled out later on, but I want to get you guys the date as soon as possible. I said it earlier, but it's April 5th and 6th. It's the Friday and the Saturday at Maranatha Chapel in San Diego County or San Diego. So uh, just put that in your calendar, put in your planner. Um, you should consider coming. You know, you really should. Um, if you live nearby, then you have no excuse. I'll see you there. Um, if you don't, I could say this is worth traveling for. Um, we've seen people come, um, travel across multiple states uh, to come to our training weekends, and they haven't gone away disappointed. So I don't want to, like, turn this into some big giant sales pitch um, or some kind of self-promotion. But... I really believe that this is a valuable investment into, for some of you, might be a lifelong calling um, that, that God is calling you to. We cannot replace a Bible college or a seminary or a long-term mentorship. We can't do that, but we can supplement it. Um, this could be a great addition to your formal education or... For those of you that have just missed out on that, this is a great chance to get some of what you could have learned. Again, more details are going to come. We're revamping our website right now. I'll definitely let you know once that's up and running. But save the dates. Tell somebody. Bring somebody. Um, we want this to be our biggest yet. In fact, I'm sure that it will be our best yet. Uh, and no one's going to fall through the cracks. Everyone's going to get paired um, with a, an experienced practitioner. Uh, we want to help you succeed. And April 5th and 6th, Maranatha Chapel, San Diego, is a way that we can do that. Um, otherwise, thank you so much for listening. More details are to come. Um, and uh, what, BIMA2573, um, get in touch. Uh, send me a direct message on Instagram, and I will uh, send you out uh, your sticker. And uh, yeah, cool. I hope that this and everything that we do helps you in your personal Bible reading and your public proclamation of God's word. All right. God bless. See you later.